Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to the I See Old People podcast. I am Dr. Bruce, your host, and we are broadcasting from Storage Closet Studios in beautiful Norfolk County, Ontario. Today is January 14th, Thursday, January 14th, and I've, have, I've been struggling with the podcast, trying to find a direction for it. And it's been difficult because uh, so many things have changed in the last year. So I've decided to focus on probably what is the most important thing in my life right now, and that is my sobriety. And as many of my listeners know, I have, uh, you know, I've had some issues with alcohol over the years, especially over the last uh, 20 years. I've been working really, really hard to try to change that. This summer, I spent three months uh, in an AA program where I was going to AA every day. And, uh, I was just loving it. And of course, uh, I, I stayed sober and I wanted to celebrate with you. What I'm going to do now with my podcast is I want to celebrate with you my, uh, my month sobriety each month. And I am at seven months right now since my uh, relapse. And here's the thing. And this is why I want to share it with my audience and why I want your support that I've never made it past eight months. Uh, three times I've tried to quit drinking uh, forever. And of course, you know, you can't even say the word forever because forever is, is so difficult to comprehend. When you think about AA, AA is a real life, a lifelong program. It's a lifelong program, but you just live it every day. You just live it every day so that the, uh, the term forever, you don't even bring that into play because uh, how impossible that would be to say, I'm going to change my life forever, but I can change my life for 24 hours. And that's what I've been doing for 24 hours a day for the last seven months. So I'm pretty proud of that. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a monthly podcast. So I'll, I'll be back on my eight month, nine month, 10 month, and we'll celebrate a year together. Excited about that because uh, there is no support group anymore. Although the liquor stores, the alcohol selling stores are all open for business uh, here in Ontario, Canada, the AAs have been all closed down. So AA meetings are closed, liquor stores are open. So anyone who wants to drink is certainly free to do so. Anyone who wants to work really, really hard and change their life and try not to drink, well, they're shit out of luck because uh, they shut down all of those meeting halls. Now, there is a silver lining, a little bit of one anyway, and that is something called Zoom. And there have been Zoom meetings. I've only been to three so far. So picture this. Last summer, I was going to meetings every single day, literally changing my life, changing the way I was thinking, changing, changing me so from a core level. And now I'm down to no meetings in person and just a Zoom meeting on a Sunday morning. But the Zoom meeting is great. It's like an anchor for me on those Sunday mornings because I uh, get to see some of the Winnipeg people that I'd met over the summer. And I get to spend a little bit of time with them and I get to uh, talk again. And that's the thing. When you go to an AA program, it's, it's the sharing. And it's what you share with others. And it's what they share with you is what helps you to grow. And so at least we can still do that uh, with those Zoom meetings. So thank goodness for that. So today, as I said, was uh, January 14th, 2020, in the time of madness. I don't want to editorialize. I will only editorialize to that point where I say the time of madness, because nobody is going to disagree with me that this is an absolutely crazy time. But today was the beginning of, call it soft martial law, the beginning of martial law in Ontario, uh, a complete lockdown. We have been told not to leave our homes. 
uh, unless it is for essential business. We have been told that we can go to the grocery store, uh, we can go to Costco, Walmart, the liquor store, of course, uh, but we're not supposed to go anywhere else. Or otherwise, we're just supposed to stay home. The police now have the authority to stop us uh, and ask us where we're going and why we're going and then deeming whether that is an essential service or not. It's very, very confusing. All of the headlines uh, today and all of the different Canadian newspapers are talking about how confusing these are because I don't know how different today is than yesterday. Okay, the schools are closed. The restaurants are all closed. Of course, uh, McDonald's, uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken, and Burger King, and Wendy's, and Tim Hortons, well, they're all open and they have lineups through their uh, drive-through windows. So Ontario is in the soft lockdown, and I call it a soft martial law because it, it hasn't actually put into place a curfew. In the neighboring province of Quebec, uh, in Quebec they have introduced an 8 p.m. curfew, like everybody home in cur uh, by 8 p.m. So they are just slightly more draconian than we are, where they have more of what I would call a true actual martial law. The only difference between uh, martial law in the sense of what is happening now versus martial law, say back in the 60s during the FLQ crisis in Quebec or uh, during the times of the riots in Detroit and that type of thing in the States, the only difference is there's no, there seems to be no police presence. So there's not extra police around, there's not military around, there's not extra security. This, this, this lockdown is almost like it's a voluntary lockdown. It's asking everybody to just stay home. So it's, it's different. And of course, Canadians are really cooperative people. You know, we're the ones who are always known throughout the world to be saying sorry and we apologize and we don't want to ever shine too much. And so we're told to stay in our homes and basically we just do it. That's no editorializing. It's just what it is. The schools are closed. Uh, most mom and pop type businesses are closed. The big corporations are making an incredible amount of money because the big corporations are still running at full speed. In fact, they're hiring staff. Places like Amazon are making record profits. Any type of online business, it's quite a time. But I'll tell you right now, I'm pretty happy to be seven months sober. Uh, at the beginning of this lockdown, in the first lockdown back in March, was when I had my relapse. And facing this with alcohol versus facing this sober, facing it sober is better. Way, way, way better. Uh, just deal with it day by day. Uh, it is my biggest resentment. There's no question, my biggest resentment. I mean, I just turned 61 years old. I wanted to travel. I mean, uh, that's what this whole podcast was supposed to be about, was about uh, healthy aging, how the aging process occurs and uh, from an individual uh, perspective, from this person's perspective. So, you know, like last year, I was, I was going to go see Pearl Jam with my friend, uh, Serge. I was going to go see Pearl Jam. The first time I will ever, would ever have seen Pearl Jam, my friend has seen, it, seen them about 35 times. And we were going to go up to Ottawa to see Pearl Jam this summer. We were going to go to Buffalo to see the Rolling Stones. And what was neat about the Rolling Stones concert was it was going to be at Rich Stadium, an outdoor concert stadium where the Buffalo Bills play football. My listeners on what it was like to be, okay, here's the example. Okay, I'm 60 years old. I'm at a Rolling Stones concert in Buffalo, New York. Um, this is what I see. This is what I'm observing. This is what I'm feeling. 
Okay, that was what it was supposed to be all about. Of course, it's not going to be like that because of the age of madness that has taken over. So I'm grateful for my sobriety and I want to share that part of my life with you at this point because really I don't have anything else. I'm like everyone else in Ontario. We are in lockdown. Our premier, Doug Ford, has told us to stay home and that's what I've been doing the majority of the time. I've built some shelves in my garage. Driveway is always cleared of snow. I asked my wife to maybe teach me how to crochet or how to knit, you know, something just to do with my hands. I've been reading a lot. And, and of course, we can still, even during this soft martial law lockdown, uh, we can still exercise. So thank God for that. Thank God that I have a dog. I have a beautiful three-year-old dog, uh, Bella, and we go for walks every day. Bella loves, loves the age of madness. Bella's never gotten so much attention. Bella's never gone for so many walks. Sometimes she goes on four walks a day. So read, watch TV. I've been watching a, um, a series on Netflix I've really been enjoying called Yellowstone. It's kind of a melodrama uh, soap opera kind of uh, set in Montana to be out there. I, I love watching those horses and the buffalo and uh, anyway, I love that series, but it'll be over soon and we'll just carry on. The only good, really, really good thing to report right now, because it's all I'm doing is I'm just trying to be accurate re report of what's going on is that uh, people are learning to help each other within smaller communities. My wife and I, we realize the situation that we're in, so we're both more compassionate with each other and, and patient with each other. Yeah, I guess when you know, you've been in a, uh, this age of madness for this long now, going on eight months now, we've all gotten used to it a little bit. You know, the people that were gonna break initially, they've broken. Uh, so now it's like, you know, we're in for this long haul of what's going on here. The, the biggest problem I think is just that it's the unknowns. It's, it's how long is this going to go on? Will this go on? Will it get worse? Will it get better? Uh, it's all those unknowns. So that's the state of the country, the province the, right now. Uh, Canada has 10 different provinces. They have slightly different rules. Uh, from the way I see it, Quebec is, is worse than us as far as their lockdown measures. Ontario would be second, but every province is, uh, is under restrictions of some type. They started um, giving out the vaccines. Uh, they just arrived in Norfolk County and they've seen two residents in nursing homes. So I can't really comment on anything about that. They just started doing that. So we shall see uh, next month when I'm at my eight month uh, mark in my sobriety and I do another podcast, I'll let you know how all of that went. What I really want to talk about then is, you know, I, I started to think about my dad a lot. You know, I'm 61 now and he's been gone for 22 years and I've kind of, um, well, not kind of, I've forgotten what he sounded like. I forgot his voice. And I'm sure he probably sounds just like what you're hearing right now, probably. He's probably sounded just like I do, but I, uh, I can't remember it. I can't remember his voice. I can't remember his words when he would speak to me. I still remember his face and his, of course, because you know, there's pictures of him, but there's no recordings. There's no voice recordings. Uh, video was very, very new when he was still alive and, and he was shy of it. You know, he wouldn't really talk to the camera. He would maybe wave at it. So we really, you know, I, I kind of 
forgotten his voice. So I was thinking, you know, maybe over my next 25, 30 years of my life, I might forget him altogether. I might forget all about him. I might forget all about him. So I thought I'd spend a few minutes and talk about him. Uh, his name was Joseph, and he was born in Canada, but he was 100% Italian uh, from the Cal Calabria region of Italy. A little town, uh, his family came from a little town called Cosenza, okay, and the actual town was Dipniano. Dipniano was a small village near Cosenza. Cosenza. Cosenza was the big city within the province of Calabria, and Calabria is the furthest province down in Italy. If you go further south, you're in Sicily, which is an island. So the, further, the furthest south you can go in Italy in the boot, down at the boot is um, Calabria. So he was not from Calabria, but his mom and dad both were. They both were from Dipniano. And his mother was actually born in Canada as well. Okay, His mother was born in Canada in 1901, something like that, 1904, somewhere like that. And, but his father came over as a young man from Dipniano. Uh, his father came to Canada from Italy and then met his mother who was born in Canada who came to uh, Italy earlier with her family as a child and her, her family came over and she was born here. Well, the funny thing is that uh, she, my grandmother went to St. Joseph's School in uh, Thunder Bay, well, it was Port Arthur at the time, and then my dad went there and all his brothers and sisters and everything, and then I went there with all of my brothers and sisters. So three generations went to that school. But my dad was 100% Italian because his mom and dad were both 100% Italian and they both came from Dipniano. Italy from Calabria. So my dad lived a pretty uh, basic life. He worked at the same place his whole life. He worked at the CNR uh, when he was 16. He quit school when he was 16, which was pretty common back then. Uh, my dad was born in 1929. Uh, he quit school when he was 16 and he started working. Uh, I think he started working as a delivery boy for a very short period of time for like six months. And then after that, he started working at the CNR. And he worked at the CNR in the same department for 44 years. So he was a carman. Now a carman was somebody who, who repaired boxcars. So that's where the word came from, carman. So he was a carman. Uh, there are really no carmans anymore because boxcars don't exist. There's shipping containers now and there's hopper cars. So when they, when they ship grain now, they come in hopper cars. And hopper cars are cars, they're the round train, uh, uh, box car, they're the round train that you see. They're the round and they have uh, openings at the bottom. So they're full of grain. And then you open the bottom hopper and then all the grain just falls out from gravity. Well, before hopper cars, they used to ship grain in boxcars. So a boxcar has big doors on the side, okay? So what, would ha what you would have to do to ship grain in that is you would have to build a wooden wall, basically, across the doorway, and then you leave about a foot at the top for the spout. So out, out west, see Thunder Bay is a big, big center for processing grain. So a lot of grain that comes from the west comes into these huge grain elevators in Thunder Bay where it's cleaned and it's graded and it's put into silos and then it's and then it's put into ships that then sail down the St. Lawrence out into the Atlantic or down into the states and they bring the grain wherever it has to go all over the world. So the grain comes from western Canada 
pretty much from you know Winnip from from uh, Manitoba, from Saskatchewan, uh, maybe even from southern Alberta. So that grain would all come by boxcar at one time to Thunder Bay. So then the so they would have built the wooden door or the wooden wall across the door out west. They would have filled the boxcar with grain and then the dirty grain, and then that grain then the boxcar would go to Thunder Bay. Then the grain elevators had these huge machines that would come down and they would knock this door down. And so all the grain could fall down into the uh, hoppers. And then uh, it would pick up the boxcar. And you think of how big boxcars are. It would pick up the boxcar and it would tip it one way and would tip it the other way until all of the grain came out. And then there would be some little lackey because when I worked as a student at the grain elevators, that would be my job, is I would go inside the boxcar and I would sweep out the whatever grain was left, let it go down the hopper. And then the hopper had this metal grate at what would catch all the broken wood from breaking down the wooden door. So then I would, uh, as a student, when I would work at the grain elevators, I worked at the biggest grain elevator in the world. It was called Saskatchewan Pool 7 at that time. It's got a new name now, new owners. But at that time, it was the biggest grain elevator in the world, and I still believe it is still the biggest. So then I would, uh, I was a student there for two summers, and then I would uh, sweep, then I would sweep the um, all the grain out of the boxcar, and then I would throw the wood, the broken wood, back in the boxcar. And then the boxcar would be ridden out by gravity by somebody. I used to love that job. When I would get that job, you'd get up on top of it and release the brake. And then you would just ride it out of the car shed and and let it uh, couple with uh, the boxcars that are w the empty train that would be pulled away. Okay, so this is where my dad comes in. So that empty train then would be pulled over into the Thunder Bay yard. Okay, well, Port Arthur Yard at that time, where all of the boxcars went. And as a carman, and he had a whole crew, as a carman, he would then go in, they'd take that wood down, they'd uh, clean up the boxcar. If there was any other damage, they'd fix it. They'd make sure that everything was working. They'd close the doors and clean it out, and then they would send it back out west, and the whole process would start again. So you got to picture the car shed in the grain elevators. It doesn't exist anymore because of hopper cars. The job of a carman doesn't exist anymore because of hopper cars. And my dad did that job for 44 years. On that entire area where his shop was with about 30 men employed, 30 carmens worked there. It's not even there anymore. The whole building's gone. Everything is gone. So things really do change in the world, don't they? So the whole job of being a carman is, is gone. So, you know, my dad lived a... A pretty good life, you know. I mean, he had a steady job. He wasn't well paid the way construction would be paid, you know, like that wasn't a big, he didn't get the big money. But construction in Thunder Bay, it was temporary. You could only work for a few months a year and then you were laid off for a big chunk of the year. Well, my dad had four kids, so he didn't ever want to get laid off. And that was the best job about the CNR is you never got laid off. He had job security. Uh, one of the cute things about my dad was uh, late, late in his career. Like I said, he worked there for 44 years. Late in his career, he had eight weeks of holiday every year. 
and he would take all of July off and all of August off. He would take the entire two months off, and I can remember him so proud, and he would say, you know, I have a grade six education, and I have just as much time off as the teachers. It was kind of neat that he had that privilege at the end of his career. So he worked there, but boy, cold, you know, getting up on a Thunder Bay, freezing, freezing Thunder Bay morning, putting on your long johns and walking. We lived about three blocks from the water and walking those three blocks to that icy, icy shore. And he did that and he did that for our family and he did it for 44 years. So, and he was a good family man. He loved my mother. Oh my God, he loved my mother so much. And he loved all of us. He was a good man, never ever... Uh, was abusive with us in any way, uh, either verbally or, or physically. Uh, he was just he was just a good, kind, loving man. He had a lot of friends. He came from a big family. He had um, seven siblings. Uncle Frank, that was his older brother. And then my dad was second. Then Uncle Izzy, Aunt Mary, Aunt Teresa, Uncle Louie, Uncle Ernie, Uncle Robert. It was great. When I was a kid, I had 36 first cousins. 36 first cousins. Wow, you know, like that just doesn't happen anymore. You know, family sizes are so much smaller. So my dad, uh, he died. He, he didn't even reach his 72nd birthday. I think he was 71 when he passed and uh, he had pancreatic cancer. I was with him and my mother when he got the news at the doctor's office and the doctor in Toronto, the specialist said, uh, you know, there's nothing we can do, Joe. You've got to just go home and take care of your affairs. And, uh, you know, it could be as short as six weeks. So those were the blunt and honest words from this doctor. But, you know, my dad lived for a year. He didn't live just six weeks. He lived for a year. You know, the last six months of that year were, were pretty horrible. He died at home. Those were his wishes, that he would die at home. Uh, that was very difficult on my mother and my sister for that to happen but they they fulfilled his wishes and they let him let him go in that way he never did see the year 2000 he he lived through the war uh he went he was enlisted i have a beautiful picture of him as an enlisted man with his army uniform on as a very very young man uh, he went to basic training after enlisting. This is for World War II. Uh, he was sent to British Columbia for basic training, and the war ended while he was in B.C. So my dad never did serve overseas. My Uncle Frank, his older brother, did. His My Uncle Frank served some time over in Italy. So, yeah, that's my dad. My dad, Joe, is a heck of a guy. I miss him. I'm sad that I can't remember his voice. I wish I had some recordings of him. But I'll continue to remember him. He was a good guy. Boy, he took good care of us. He didn't have much. Uh, we never had much, but we never knew it. We had love, and we had each other. I didn't realize how little we had until I was older. And uh, then, you know, I realized that we had a, we we were one of the poor families. <laughs> but uh, we were happy. I I never ever once, when I was a little kid, did I ever think that I was missing out on something. I was very, very content. And then I grew up into this crazy guy that you're, you're listening to right now. You know, but we all have our problems. You know, it's how we deal with those problems, I think, that are, is the medal of the man's. I'm hoping that over time uh, I, can, I can prove myself and get control over some of these issues that have been, uh, have been bad issues for me. So if you listen this far, you know, you know I love you. I've gone way over to... I really appreciate you listening, and now you know a little bit about my dad, and uh, I'm going to continue to share some stories like that with you on my monthly visits in, 
keep your fingers crossed for me. I really need to get past that eight month mark. It's, uh, it's three times I've tried. So, so it's no more trying. It's just doing now. And, it, and I have no desire at this point, at this point, seven month, I have absolutely no desire to have a drink. So let's, let me keep that attitude. Just live one day at a time, one day at a time. Uh, like I said at the beginning, A is a lifelong program. You bet you live it one day at a time. So thanks again for listening. I really, really appreciate it. And I'm going to see you on or about February 13th. And that'll be my eight-month mark. And I'm going to check in with you then. Okay, you take care and thanks for listening.